Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Austin. And I'm Alicia. And this is the Generational Gospel Podcast, where we discuss the gospel and doctrine in order to disciple our family and generations to come. In this episode, we talked about humble servanthood. So last week, we or actually it wasn't last week. We apologize for that. Um, life is crazy. We're trying to do a podcast and I promised you an episode and that was my fault. So we were here this week um, really late. Um, so you're probably seeing this on Saturday morning if you're watching it or listening to it, I should say, um, right out the gate. But um, we ended our series on freedom in Christ uh, two weeks ago now. And we don't have a specific um, series in mind yet. We're working on some things, but right now we're doing a couple of one-off episodes um, to just continue content and still talk about some important things. And that kind of leads us into what we're talking about today, um, which is uh, humble servanthood. Humble servanthood is going to be based off of John chapter 13 uh, verses uh, 1 to 17. So if you have your Bibles, um, go ahead and pull those out. We're going to be in the ESV translation. Um, nothing wrong with other translations. We just prefer the ESV. So if you want to follow along with us, um, meet us there. John chapter 13. And Alicia's going to read it for us. Okay, John chapter 13, starting with verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who was bathed has, does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of Lord, word of the Lord, and you may be seated. <laughs> if you um, stand up in church, and sometimes it's for for the Bible reading. Sometimes I think I have like the impulse when the Bible's being read. Anyways, um, great word. 
today we're going to break this down a little bit, but we're specifically going to uh, break the foot washing into a couple of different applications. Now, um, we're going to keep it really simple and try to get through this pretty quickly. Um, But to give you kind of the summary or the quick summary of those three applications of the foot washing and what Jesus is trying to get at and what he's pointing to and symbolizing in the uh, washing of the disciples' feet is one is to symbolize Christ's Christ's atoning and cleansing death. Second is to point to his initial cleansing being once and for all, yet still subsequent sins being washed away, um, but not needing to repeat the initial cleansing. And then third teaches lessons in humility. But all three of these things are distinct. Now, a little bit of background and context of where we are in um, chapter 13, uh, all the way up through John so far, we have been uh, seeing um, unfolding. John does a really good job of describing Jesus as God, which is pretty important. And you'll see a little bit of that in here. But throughout the book of John, uh, we've seen a lot of the buildup of Christ's uh, public ministry, you know, miracles, preaching, teaching, and things of that nature in the public. What chapter 13 serves as is kind of a transitional moment where he transitions into his private ministry with his disciples, which is known as the farewell discourse, which is from chapters 14 to 17. Now he is private with his disciples in chapter 13, but the main meat of, um, of that farewell discourse, as scholars have called it, um, is in chapters 14 to 17, um, leading right up to his, uh, um, the high priestly prayer. And so chapter 13 is a bit of a, of a transition. It's a, it's a way to get us kind of like to start the flow of, of, of some of the teaching that he's going to be teaching the disciples. Um, and so, so now we understand a little bit about where we've come coming into this chapter. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk about was the end of chapter 12. Um, and just simply put, you can go back and read it if you want. Um, simply the very end paragraph of chapter 12, Jesus talks about that he has come into the world, not to judge it, but to save it. And that's pretty important, especially when you get into chapter 13, because, um, judgment is definitely not at the forefront of what's happening here. Um, it's, it's really love. And I think it's important that we know. And if you don't know that Jesus did come to serve, he came to love, um, and to show love, um, so much so that he died on the cross. And so, um, we're going to get into chapter 13 now, which starts off with now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So the only thing I want you to really think about in this particular part of the passage is one that Christ knows what is happening. Christ is not at all confused about what is coming. Now there are elements I know that the new Testament talks about where there are things that Christ does not know that the father knows. But in this particular instance, we're not going to break into that too much really at all. But in this instance, we know that he knows that he's going to be departing out of this world to the father soon. Um, 
And it's interesting. It says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is kind of a pre- uh, an initial premise that's going to help you to understand his next actions. It is out of love for his friends, his deep friends, which are the disciples. That's who he's talking about as his own. It's his love for them that causes him to do or that kind of helps lead him into what he's about to do for them. So verse two, it says during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God was going back to God rose from supper. This is interesting um, because one, Jesus knows that, that Jesus is going to betray him. Um, Jesus, Jesus already referred to Judas as a devil earlier in chapter six, when he taught, when he, um, which, uh, hold on, I'll pull this verse up real quick. It says, Jesus answered them, did I myself not choose you the 12? And yet one of you is the devil. Jesus already knew that one of them was going to betray him. Um, and I have no doubt that he knew it was Judas. Um, but this is making the claim that he knew that. And not only does he know that, but Jesus, it says that Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God rose from supper. The sentence confused me originally when I was reading it, because I think it, it made me wonder why, why put that in there? It seemed like not that it wasn't necessary, but that it was kind of just extra, maybe filler or something. But indeed it is very important because although Jesus knew, like you would expect at this point, the next verse is to be this like big battle scene where he's just going to take down the enemy being the devil or, or, and just destroy all evil. But that's, if you know the story, that's not how it goes. Um, he still goes to the cross. Um, and so, so then what happens next? Well, he has full power yet he is also fully loving which is very important and i know you had a couple of things you wanted to say about that as well yeah um and even as we're reading it right now again it some some more things kind of stand out to me um and i think you know we we read verses 2 through 4 right there and for me, some things stood out in verse three, which which I'll talk about in just a second. But like reading those together, a couple other versions actually take the rose from supper, which starts verse four, but is the end of a sentence in verse three, and they create a new sentence out of it. And um, I think actually putting it there, it's like, you know, it's a comma instead. And there it kind of gives this feeling of like, Jesus knows, again, that Judas is already there to betray him. He also knows that he has all this power and that the Father has given him absolutely everything. And with knowing those things, he gets up from his seat. And and as we know, because we read the scripture a few minutes ago, he gets up to serve all of the people at the table, including Judas, the one who betrays him. And I just think that's Right there's just a beautiful picture of like what we were already talking about. Like he has come to show love. And again, I think that's why verse one says what it says. It's like here again, this is the point of what Christ is doing. And I think um, verse three, when he's talking about 
knowing that the father had given him all things into his hands and that um, he had come from God and he's going to God. It also reminded me of what he was talking about in Matthew 26, 53 through 54, which says, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father that he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? And here he's talking to one of his disciples who um, is going to try to attack the people who are betraying him. And he's like, listen, I have all power. Like I can, I don't need your help. And actually you're not helping because this is what my father has called me here to do. And, um, and to me, it's just like shows like he's laying aside his rights. He's laying aside his privileges. He's um, just humbly choosing to serve people and ultimately to be obedient to the father. Um, he knows his assignment and he, and he's the only one who can boast and demand servanthood from us or from anybody else. But instead of doing that, he, he does the exact opposite. He becomes that servant. And so, um, those are the things that kind of really stood out to me in, in this section of the passage. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you on that. And in, in getting into what, you know, into his actual act of service, we get into the rest of verse four and of five says he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples feet to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Um, this is very significant because again, if you don't understand the context, you may, you may think that this is just John going out of his way to describe the event as a historian might do, which yes, but also there's more to it. Um, the significance of this particular act of taking out his outer garment, of his outer garments, taking a towel, tying it around his waist, pouring the water in the basin, and and washing the feet. But specifically, before even getting to washing the feet, is he's taking the position of what someone who so someone who would wash feet in um um someone if you do hear sound in the background um we don't live alone so <laughs> <laughs> so we apologize for that but. What happens in the in the New Testament time is that whoever, the people who are washing feet were generally um, a household slave. Um, and generally speaking, you wouldn't even make your Jewish slaves do the act of, of washing the feet of the people who come in for dinner and stuff like that. Generally, that would be done by um, a Gentile slave because it was seen as a menial act, meaning it was an act um, requiring no skill, an act that... Um, was really for the lowest of low, someone who you did not expect to have a very um, high intelligence. It didn't take much. It was just, you know, you you paid a, a cheap price for them. You needed them to do something. You have them wash the feet of your guests. And so this is not something, you know, in this in this gathering, it can be assumed based on what we know that there really was nobody else there, no, or at least no slaves there in the room. And so up until this point, no one has washed their feet. Now, the disciples would have had no problem washing the feet of Jesus. Like there's not anything that would have caused them to not do that, but to wash each other's feet, that's just not culturally a thing. You don't, you don't do that. And so, and nor do you have your master or your leader, you know, wash your feet. But when Jesus takes out his out, off his outer garments and takes a towel and wraps around his waist, 
and pours the water into the basin, he is now taking the position. Not only is he doing the work of a menial slave, but he is also taking the position of one by by putting on the garments and taking the position of that one would do. And so completely, you know, I say humiliating himself, but really humbling. culturally humbling himself to the point of um, of this, this slave position, which of course immediately would throw the disciples off. I mean, there's no doubt that when they see this, they're like, what is happening right now? Um, and so that's what's significant about that. And when you kind of get a little bit more in there, you see in verse six, it continues that, um, it says he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my, do you wash my feet? I just want to be clear that that technically in the Greek, that's how you would understand that statement. It's not like just a simple, do you wash my feet? It's do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Um, Simon Peter is known to be a person who speaks up. He, he doesn't step down. I mean, you see this throughout the new Testament, um, especially in the gospels, you see that Simon Peter is definitely not one to take things, um, without saying something about it. And so he's very thrown off, um, by this part. And so, um, but what happens next is interesting. So first of all, he says, do you understand you do not understand now, but you will understand later. That's kind of a twofold thing too. There's a lot of multiple elements or multiple applications of what Jesus is saying in this passage. And one of those is this, it, he will explain, because we'll see in verse 12, it says, you know, do you understand what I've done for you? He does explain what he has done, but part of what he has done and some of the symbolism, because the cross has not come, some of the symbolism we're going to see, um, they will not know until really is his death, resurrection and ascension. And when, when, and really when the Holy spirit comes and fills them. And so, but for now, um, we get into now verse eight, which says, Peter said to him, you shall never wash. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Um, which kind of gets into the first application of this, which is to symbolize Christ's atoning and cleansing death on the cross. Of course, Peter did not know this at this time, but, um, what Jesus is pointing to here is that he, that if he does not wash you and we, we see this cleansing language, um, throughout scripture, you see it in the old Testament, you see it in um, other passage in the new Testament, um, the cleansing of sin that, you know, Christ has come to, um, to cleanse us of our sin and to, um, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so, um, what Jesus is talking about here is if I do not wash you, if I do not only do I, if I do not clean you of your sin, you have no share with me, but if I don't give you the grace that I'm going to give you, then you have no share with me. And that's what he's talking about. He's doing the service, which this service, this very demeaning service that he's doing is only a foreshadowing of the cross, which is a much worse, much more unfathomable, much more demeaning, much more humiliating act that he's going to um, have to endure for the sake of those he loves. And so this is just a foreshadowing of that. Um, but again, Peter does not understand this. And I know you had a couple things you wanted to say about verse eight. Um, yeah, <laughs> sorry. I think like just listening to it and rereading it again, like there's just so much 
like gospel application and like, I don't know, I'm getting a little emotional because um, we're just so reminded of like what Christ has done for us. And we have the benefit of being on this side of the Bible and this side of Christ's resurrection and to, um, to recognize like the symbolism here, like that it, like you're saying, it wasn't just him washing feet. Like, yes, for them, it was foreshadowing. But for us, we get to see like, wow, like what he was doing here was even just like a an opportunity to show them the grace that he has given us. Um, And I think like what stood out to me earlier is kind of like, I, it doesn't compare to the same thing, but I'll still share it because I think it's important um, about our attitudes. Um, and when Peter is is talking to to Jesus and it's like, oh, you shall never wash my feet. Like, it's so easy for us to either think that people of a higher like level or status than us should not like lift a finger. And it's also easy for us to think if we are in that higher position of power that we should not lift a, f- a finger and like he's Jesus is like destroying that notion. Like um, I think it's totally okay. And it, it's more than okay. It's we should show people who are in higher power of us to in higher authority. We should show them respect and we should treat them like, you know, try to do everything for them that we should be doing. Um, but when we find ourselves in those spaces, like we should be like Christ and be willing to serve and not have that mindset of, oh no, I couldn't, I should never have to do X, Y, or Z and like really take this example of Christ. And, and again, we can literally not, we can take what he's doing and in this fact that he's doing these small menial tasks and, and, and be willing to do those things. But again, recognizing the symbolism of this, like, and going back to verse one, like, He's doing this out of unconditional love and and nothing is beneath him. And I think that's what he's showing. It's not just washing feet. It's anything for the people that he loves. And I think we can we can really learn from that and um, apply that to our own lives. Absolutely. Yeah. It's ultimately the point is in, in this entire passage, you're there's nothing but grace um, from Christ um, in in this act of cleaning the disciples' feet and in all of the ways it applies. Um, what's interesting too, though, is, you know, like I said, Peter does not know what's going on from, at least from our understanding, from what you can tell in the text, Peter is still confused, even in hearing this, because what having part with someone really means in the Jewish time is not what we understand Christ to mean here generally means it's usually i mean i guess in some sense it is but like it does hold a generally an eschatological um, blessing behind it generally meaning that when you have part with somebody um, when someone says you have part with them there's there's kind of there's there's something to come that you will have part in an inheritance of sorts um and so um that's at least from to the best of the understanding of the time, that's probably a little bit of where Peter was going. 
But regardless, being a part of Jesus, being part with Jesus would have been something he wanted. Peter wanted to be at the feet of Jesus. Peter wanted to be with Jesus and to be known by Jesus. And so, um, and so in hearing this, he, sorry, I was a little bit confused. So are you saying that in the Jewish tradition, they would not have seen being part of as like the inheritance or they would have, they would. Okay. So it would have been an inheritance, but the obviously wouldn't been a salvific type of thing. Like, um, inherit, it would have been inheritance. And and technically this is really what that is an internal inheritance, but, um, Peter doesn't know what that looks like. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it could even be just even a worldly inheritance, you know, mm-hmm. money, home, whatever. But, um, but Peter from what scholars have said to like, there, there, people have debated this next line, Lord, not my feet only, but as, but also my hands, and my head in trying to break down the hands and my head part, really what it comes down to in the best that you can tell from, from the manuscripts and from what we can see transpiring is, is really um, just Peter's just quick response and exuberance of just like, well, well, I don't, I want part with you, Jesus, like get my whole body. body. You know, I don't think, I don't think now, I don't think that he actually was saying, you know, Hey, wash me from head to toe. You know, he did say my hands, my, but I think the idea was, it was just kind of a quick response. Like, okay, like don't just wash my feet. Like I want every part. I'm going to be how, how, how much more part of you can I be? And so, um, I don't think he was expecting Jesus to get up and just, you know, pour him, pour water all over him or something like that. It was just more of a quick response. Just kind of like, okay, I, I said the wrong thing. He realized in some way, like I said the wrong thing by denying you. Um, but, uh, what this did show is, of course, that Peter had still a lack of understanding. And Jesus uses that and makes a transition into um, his response, which brings us to the second application, which is cleansing, which is the initial cleansing that we just talked about being cleansed by Christ in his cross and his uh, sacrifice for us um, is a once for all action a once for all cleansing making us completely clean um, and washing away our sin. But we do still sin. We do still live in this world in an imperfect body. And we're going to get into that a little bit here. And so verse 10 and 11 says, Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And yet you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew he who was to betray him, that was why he said, not all of you are clean. And so it is, this is, so something that's interesting here is the Greek. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean anything super major, but it is kind of telling that the wording here, the verbs that are being used here, there's two different verbs that Jesus uses in this, in this statement. Um, it says, um, the difference is the one who has bathed that bathed verb and then does not need to wash that washed verb. Technically both verbs would translate to wash or bathe or whatever. They would translate to the same thing. Um, one is the first one bathe is luo. And then the second one is uh, nipto. I could probably, I am probably pronouncing those completely incorrectly, but those, the first one that is bathed 
speaks of a full cleanse, a full body bathe. Generally speaking, that's what that term would have, or that verb would have been used for. Whereas nipto is something more for like just your feet, just your hands, just a specific part of the body. So it's interesting that even Christ in his saying this is actually separating the, um, he's making, using different terms, um, or even John, if it may, may have just been John's writing, but is making separate terms um, to talk about separate things and to separate the fact that they are both cleansings, but they're different, right? And so the the thing that is important here is that, okay, there is a transitional period. And we know this because he says, if you are not um, washed, you know, you have no, have no part with me. Um, but then he jumps right into, you know, well, you are already bathed. That's really what he's saying, because the one who has bathed what that is saying in, in the tense, it's in the perfect tense. It means that it has already happened. And so the one who has bathed, the one who has already bathed, and he's speaking of something that has already happened, um, does not need to wash except for his feet. Now he is currently washing the disciples' feet. It's important that Jesus is not speaking outside of the context of his world. And contextually speaking, he is washing the disciples' feet, but he says that they have already been bathed. So clearly he's talking about something else. And, and he says, you are clean, but not every one of you. Um, and so he is speaking to that the disciples besides Judas are cleansed, meaning that now, which is interesting because the cross hasn't happened yet. Now this gets into, um, it gets into some complicated covenant theology language and stuff that we're not going to get into today. But what it does show us is that Jesus at this point affirms and um, it kind of makes the point to show that the, the disciple, he recognizes the disciples again, besides Judas, the disciples as having part with him, being um, already being chosen for the sacri- um for the salvation that he's going to be providing on the cross. And it shows that God views them as, you know, essentially has been, imputed the grace that they will have onto them in this moment um, to share a symbolism here. Um, But it then of course gets into um, not every one of you Um, because again, although he, he is washing all of their feet, but he is not saying that um, Judas is fully bathed or, you know, fully clean in this scenario. Do you have anything that? Yeah. I, I think this is kind of like leaning towards like the doctrine of election in a sense, like these other disciples have been like, it shows that they've been elected. Um, I think it's also kind of easy to read this passage and think like the one who has bathed does not need to wash. Like you could read that at the very surface level and be like, Oh, all of these guys have probably taken a shower or a bath that day. And so, okay, they don't, they don't, all they need to do is is wash their feet today. Um, but I think what makes you have to think deeper about that and that it's not just the surface level of showering and washing your feet here is when John says in 11, for he knew that who was to betray him, that was why he said not all of you are clean, right? So it's like, the betrayal doesn't make Judas dirty, right? Yeah, he wasn't saying that <laughs> he wasn't Ju- saying Judas that just didn't he take a shower or something. Didn't take a shower that day. So it's like clearly there's a heart 
thing happening. Like they're talking about your, like Jesus is talking about um, their souls here, not just their physical um, cleanliness or not. And so I think that's, that's to me, that just makes made me understand more like of what you're talking about of being more valid. Like this is a spiritual soul matter, not just a physical, like, are you clean or dirty type of thing? Yeah. And it's important to, not to skip over the except for your feet part. Yeah. Because that's really the important part of this point is that right. we can make the point that we are already cleansed and we can fight that point um, throughout scripture. And that's not something that's, um, that, you know, we'll do that on another day. Um, but, but um, the important part of this passage or this section is the except for your feet as well, because what he's saying here and what he's pointing to is that we still need regular cleansing. But he also, again, separates this cleansing out. Now, back in the day, why foot washing is so important is because, like, we wear shoes now and, you know, our feet may get sweaty or whatever, but they don't generally get dirty necessarily. Um, some people get some funky feet, but... Unless you're from the South and you're, <laughs> we're, you're barefoot and you wear... Yeah, yeah, but the idea is, yeah, they would have sandals and that was generally what they wore and they if they wore anything and they would wear them out um, on these dusty roads. They didn't have finished roads in the sense of where of what we have. They're generally pretty dusty, dirty, whatever. And um, especially you have animals crossing them, you know, you got feces everywhere. It's all... It's a... I'm sure they had people cleaning streets, but still, it's just kind of a, it's a different world. And so you may have just taken a bath, but as soon as you walk outside for something, you're now dirty again. And in the same way, as believers, we, there is a moment that many of us may remember of when we were, our life was fully, was changed. We had salvation. We knew that we were now indwelt by the spirit and saved by Christ um, or renewed by Christ. Um, but I promise you that very same day you committed a sin and the idea that you, and, and if you think you didn't, you probably just didn't know it. But generally speaking, um, you know, it's not to say that you can't go a second without sinning, but we are, we are prone to sin. Our flesh is prone to sin and we do sin. And we see this in other passages too. Like in first John, um, you know, it talks about like, if you say you have no sin, you make yourself a liar. Um, and, um, and so, and what's interesting is first John is also written by, as far as we know, written by the same John, um, as this gospel. Um, and it talks about, um, to th- those, and he's talking to those who, who we, who he knows to believe. It talks about that later in, in first John. Um, and it says, you know, that you must confess our sins to be cleansed of all unrighteousness. And again, there's that cleansing language. Um, now we may not make a practice of sinning, uh, but to say that we do not have sin or that we do not sin would be a false statement. And so in the world, while we are still here, while we are not perfected, not glorified with Christ, we need regular cleansing, which is what this is talking about. This is what he's doing for his disciples here in washing their feet is he's explaining, he's physically washing their feet and he's also physically setting them up for the next point, the next application um, by doing this act. But what he's also representing is the fact that we still need regular confession. We confess our sins and he is just um, to forgive us of our sins. And when first John is talking about that, he's not talking about 
those who do not know Christ coming to Christ and then confessing their sins, the first, you know, their sins once and for all. He is talking to known believers. And that's really important about first John that I want to make clear because you could read that as, okay, well, he's talking about or new believers. Um, they might be new, but they're not like new as in they hear these words and they're being saved before they got the letter of first John, they John for John, it had assumptions or at least knew of belief to the people he was speaking to. And so that makes it important that he's, he understands in Christ knows clearly in this passage that we are going to sin even after being um, filled with the spirit, we still live in the flesh. It's a complicated issue um, that we're not going to get into today, but it's something that happens. You have anything to say on that point, really? Um, Okay. Um, But this leads us into the next section, um, which is the, again, the next application, which is that, um, which is that he's now going to teach a lesson in humility. So we talked about that. Um, the foot washing represents, um, the initial atoning cleansing work of the cross that Christ, um, did for us. We also talked about the fact that we still, that the foot washing also kind of points to the fact that we still do need cleansing, um, on a regular basis, like cleansing our feet. When we come into the house, we still need to confess our sins um, yet because we are in Christ, he is just to forgive us because we have been made righteous through Christ. Um, which again, we got into that pretty well on the last few times. And so, um, great precursor for this. And, um, now we get into this next section, which he starts off by saying when he had washed their feet, it, um, when he had washed their feet and put on, um, his outer garments and resumed his pla- Wait, did I read that right? When he had washed your feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you or done to you? So he makes a physical transition. He goes back to his position at the table. He puts back his outer garments. He's now take, he's now stepping away from the place of this servant. Um, as we'll see in a second as to why he did that, but he's making a transition and then asking, do you understand what I've done for you? Um, my answer, he knows that they don't, that's not something that Jesus is not confused. He doesn't think that he's explained it fully in the sense that, or not that he hasn't explained it fully, but that he does, he's not mistaken that, you know, they just understand what he's trying to get at because they're, they don't know the cross is coming. They don't know this at this point. And so at least not fully. And so, um, and so he makes a transition and now he gets into kind of he asked the question, do you understand what I've done for you? And in knowing that they do not know the answer to that, he gives them some answers. He says in verse 14, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. For so I am. If I, then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now he's, um, he begins the explanation and gives a premise. You call me teacher and Lord. And so, that is what I am. I am teacher and Lord. And so if I am your teacher, you know, if you call me this and I am this, and I have washed your feet, I, your leader, your, your Lord, your teacher, the one over you, your master. Um, if I am washing your feet, 
you also should wash each other's feet. So now he makes a transition. He makes a transition from him doing the act of serving the disciples to the point of now um, he's, he's served the disciples and now he's going to be handing off that service to them to serve each other, um, which is important because when we get into the next verse, it says, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Did I, did I, okay. And so this word example also um, points to in the Greek can be taken as model or pattern. You know, I've given you this model. I've given you this pattern to follow. And essentially Jesus has made this very clear that it is not, um, it's not, you know, he, he could have stopped at, if I've washed your feet, you should watch each other's feet. And honestly, they should have done it because that should be it. But he gave an example. He not only told you what to do, he did the act for them as well. And so what that means and and what I think that points to, again, we know that um, the expectation of following in Christ's footsteps um, is expected of believers, those who have been changed by Christ. Um, because without his sanctifying or without his salvific work, we can't do good. We cannot do what God calls us to do. And so in this instance, he starts out by giving them or by giving the example, by doing the pattern for them. And it's not, so that helps to point to that where Jesus is not trying to make this a general rule of life for all people. This is specifically, um, that he has done this for the disciples. And because he has now done this for the disciples, he wants them to do it for each other. And, and to use this model. So it is this illogical action of Jesus serving us that we then should act accordingly, which is to serve one another. Um, yeah. Do you, do you have anything you want to throw into that? Can I read verse 16? Um, you said the next verse. Yeah. yeah. That's Go the next verse. Yeah. So verse 16, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And I think this is just like, again, proving the example that Jesus is setting. It's And it's kind of going back to what I was saying um, earlier is that there's not one of us who are greater than the other. And when we have that mindset we can more easily do what Jesus is setting the example for us to do, to serve one another um, at whatever it may cost. Um, and so, yeah, I think like if, if the master can, can say these words and he puts himself in saying he's not greater than a servant. And of course, he's not talking about like his power or position. He's literally talking about like, he's just not above doing whatever the servant is doing. And so for us to, to take that example, um, I think it's just really important. Yeah. Um, there's this really, um, so speaking on that verse, I kind of wanted to jump a little bit into the blessed thing because, um, there's something in, in one of the, uh, I mean that's 17, right? Yeah, on verse yeah. 17. Yeah, I didn't read that one. So. Um, oh, okay. It says, um, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Um, so I'm, I'm 
reading, I'm going to read something that I got from, or a note I took, I, I think is word for word. It could be slightly off, but it's from um, Edward W. Uh, Clink third, who wrote a commentary. Um, and I think it's just called um, like commentary. John, we'll put the, we'll put the title and info in the show notes and a link to it. Um, something that he says, or that he points to is that we are blessed in that we are experiencing the goodness of God and the grace of God when we understand and do the things exemplified by Jesus. Like Jesus stepping out of his superiority to serve, he is actually acting in character as God himself. Um, when we, like Jesus, serve others, we experience not a demotion, but a promotion to the kind of life God offers his children. And so when we're blessed, this is not simply that something is where something is to come, but even in doing the act, we are blessed because we are now acting as we should as the children of God. And so similar to like when Jesus does his act, it may seem like he's stepping out of his godly act, but he's not because he is a loving and a powerful God. And he is, and he came to serve. He came in his service is not a step away from his divinity. His service is a part of who he is as God It's yeah, a part of his love a... and his deep love for us as, 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 as his children. Yeah. I think that's a really good point to point out. And I think it, it kind of like actually tied into a little bit about what, what I just said is like, even though he says like, you know, the master's not greater than a servant. It, it's not saying that now he's just a, a servant. No, like he is still God. He is God almighty. He's all powerful. He's, he deserves all praise, all glory. And yet in that he is showing, you know, the humility that he has to serve. And so, yeah, I think that was, that was a really good quote. Yeah, and the only, the last thing that I want to say or I want to point to is about um, some kind of controversy about uh, foot washing. Just some things about the fact that... So some people um, in the church have taken things a couple different ways. Some people would say that the foot washing is um, an example or pointing to you know, baptism or pointing to the Eucharist because it was happening at the same, around the same point. Uh, those things, Lord's y- Supper, Lord's for Supper. those who don't yeah. celebrate with that term. Yeah. Um, or communion. It is, yeah. It is known as the Eucharist. That is the technical term for it, but you know, communion, whatever um, the, but same thing, but the, but it, there, there's no real, real weight to the fact that, you know, there's not really a reason why we should think that it was in reference to those things at all. Some would point out to that it is now a it was actually a third sacrament. You know, we have the sacrament of baptism and the sacrament of communion, uh, but then now this is a third sacrament. Um, really, it, it doesn't hold up, and the reason it doesn't hold up is for a few reasons. But um, mainly, the other sacraments, baptism and, and communion, are spoken about throughout the New Testament multiple times, and in many situations as something that we should be committed to do. You do not see, other than here, anyone reference to wa- to needing to be regularly washing the feet of each other. Now, it is mentioned, foot washing is mentioned when talking about the service of widows. It is talking about in that section when, when describing the life of a widow whom you should bring into your um, the community of you know serving uh, widows. Uh, foot, them washing feet is actually a part of that, but it isn't really referencing a sacrament of any kind. It's just a good service, right? Cause foot washing was a 
good service. Like this isn't to say, don't go wash the feet of your friends. I mean, let them know first that you're going to do it, but it, you know, it can still be, it doesn't hold the same kind of weight anymore, I think in our world, but it could still be a good thing. Right. But the, but the point is, is that it doesn't, there's, there isn't any real reason that we should take this as a sacrament, but we also shouldn't take it fully as symbolic either. And part of that is, so Richard Bachman in another, he was quoted in another commentary, which I'll put in there, but it was from his book, um, uh, testimony of the beloved disciple. And it explains, and it says, there is no indication that the command is not meant literally, but literal foot washing is a concrete instance of the practice of humble service in ordinary life. And so by taking it literally, you are also taking it symbolically. When you take foot washing literally for what it is intended to mean, Christ intended it to mean and in, in in, in is pointing to, and it is an example as he said, it is a model. It is a pattern. It's something um, to it is something to model after, which is good Christian life service, humble servanthood. And so, if you were to only wash the feet of people in nothing else, you would not be doing what Jesus is wanting you to do here. He didn't say, "I did this. Um, I did this act," and. Now that I've done this specific act, I need you to do this specific act. He said, I gave you this as an example. I gave you this as a pattern, as a model. What is a model? And that's important there too, because what is a model? A model of something is like, is, is something that you can look off of to do something else, to do something similar. Like, okay, what is the point of this thing? Like, and how can I model after that thing? How can I model after this person? When we model after Jesus, we aren't also doing the exact same things that Jesus did in the sense we're not going to a cross and dying on a cross. That would be taking, doing exactly as Jesus did. But no, we use Jesus as our model. We want to live like Jesus did. That doesn't mean that we do every single action that he ever did to the, to the letter. Nor can we. <laughs> Nor can we, right? Nor do we have enough information to know everything that he did every waking moment of the day. But... The point is, is that you also, if you have, if this is a sacrament, it can quickly become something that you do and you see it as something that when you do it, you've done what Jesus commanded, but in reality, your heart could not be, may not be in the right place for that. This is a heart issue. Serving each other and serving each other well is not something that you can simply check off the list of things to do. This is something you do every day. Um, of every week and it's something we all have to grow in. And so I guess a question that I have, and then if you have anything else, I'd love to hear it. A question that I have to leave um, this podcast is what are some things that you, that you have chosen not to do um, for a brother or sister in Christ? Um, because it was, you were, you may not put it this way, but really it was your pride. You, you're, you're, too far along. I'm too high of a leader. I'm too whatever it could be to do this act. What is that for you? And then just thinking through how can you how can you humble yourself to serve someone in your community? I mean, cuz look, if 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 Jesus Christ was willing to be mocked, bruised and humiliated for our sake, what can you do? It, I'm not asking you to be whipped and bruised. Jesus did that for us. He paid the price for our sin. 
and he paid the price for our sins so that we can serve one another. We would yeah. not have the ability to do this if we did not have the sacrifice of Christ. And so in living this Christian life, we talk about living Christian life and, and the importance of it. Let's, that's, that's the important thing with our child, with our children. What do we want to teach our children? We want to teach our children to serve each other, to serve like that. And, and we can do that ourselves as parents and serving our children mm-hmm. in, in, um, in taking care of them and in serving them in, and I can't even think of specific examples at the moment. If you've got something, I'd love to hear it, but yeah. Yeah. You actually were, uh, started going into where, where I wanted to go. Um, cause you know, this is the generational gospel podcast. And one question that we kind of asked towards the end of our, of uh, towards the end of our um, conversation is, you know, how do we teach this to our kids? How do we, um, how do we show our children how to do what the scripture is commanding of us? And um, like Austin just said, uh, the the number one way we can teach our kids this is by serving them. And I think, um, I know I can definitely do a better job at this sometimes. You know, you just want to not be inconvenienced or whatever and and you don't necessarily want to do something that your your kid wants to do and of course we're not saying every time they want to do something we need to do what they want to do but when it comes to times where we can just like serve them and be an example um let's do that um the other way we can show or, or help our kids do this is by us doing this for our community with them um, one thing that my mom used to do um, is we have a uh, program that's local to Florida. I think they have a, in other states as well, but it's called uh, Meals on Wheels. And um, she was a driver for Meals on Wheels, but the community can also help by like going there um, and signing up to deliver meals to um, elderly and people who can't like um, the food themselves. And so we would go and we would deliver food to people and we would always like go into their house and like pray with them and like talk to them. And there's, that's like obviously a very organized way, but you know, stopping to actually give that homeless man a dollar or a meal or letting your kids do that. I, I was so grateful for my mom to let us give homeless people dollars because I know some people are like, Oh, what are they going to do with that money? Our job isn't to figure out what they're going to do with it. It's to be a helping hand. And maybe it's not money. Um, you can give meals, you can stop for prayer conversation. Um, or even just like this verse, this passage is specifically talking about serving one another and the one another is fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And so looking for people in your church um, who who are, are in need of something, um, maybe that is, you know, someone sick in their house, and, like the mom or dad are, is sick and they might need some extra meals that week or like... Um, they're missing something and you have it like let your kids help you serve them and and maybe it's even something as simple as like you know you share babysitting with somebody like let your kids see you actively 
denying yourself and serving others. And, um, and that can even be like literally doing serving in the church. That's an, a great example. I think that's an easy example and it has to, I think we should still go beyond that in our everyday life. But I think again, the best way to teach our kids this is, is doing it. Um, and like we said a couple weeks ago, when it comes to actually teaching them the scripture and the reason behind it, you can always read it. And I think it's really important to read scripture to our kids, but it definitely solidifies when we're, when we're acting it out. Yeah. And I'm glad you pointed that out too, that, you know, this, it is important to serve people that are not believers and like share the gospel. Those are great gospel opportunities, but if we are serving, if we are spending time serving anyone, we definitely need to be serving each other and helping each other and growing each other. There are a lot of Christians who, I mean, just look at our culture today. There are a lot of Christians who are not a part of churches. There are a lot of Christians who are maybe a part of a church, but barely show up and aren't held accountable to it because people are walking on eggshells, you know, when they think of asking people to still asking people to come back to church physically, um, you know, post COVID. And so, um, I know that can be a touchy topic, but it is important. You cannot serve each other. Well, if you're not already in community, if you refuse to be a part of community, and I know it's hard, trust me, busy schedules, life gets crazy. You've got kids. It, it gets intense. I understand, but we have to be so intentional about community because we can't even do, I mean, Christ is so specific about how we are to act with one another and community is so is so important throughout scripture but half the time we don't spend time with people and so we need to be spending time with fellow believers regularly you need to also surround yourself around unbelievers because the gospel needs to spread and that's also hard but that's not the topic today the point is you cannot do what jesus is calling you to do here if you are not in community if you are not among believers um not just in a sunday morning um, but, and I'm saying this to myself too, uh, you need to be, you know, take, go out to lunch with them, go, go play, have a game night at your house, you know, cook for someone, like just do something to where you can be around people, find out their actual needs that they have. Um, it may not be financial. It may be as simple as like, man, I haven't been on a date with my spouse in, in like six years because we just don't have anybody who's willing to watch our kids watch their kids. Like you said, like in like involve, again, involve your kid, your own kids in, in seeing this and seeing you do it, but also in, in helping in any way they can, because it teaches them the good and the beauty behind the service. And then you can explain this text to them. Why well, mommy, daddy, why are you, why are you watching their kids or why you, why did you suggest doing this thing? It's like, well, actually there's a passage of scripture that helps to talk about this and then you can, and then there's an opportunity to teach your kids, um, the Bible even more. So, uh, this has been a really long episode. Um, and so I don't have anything else or you're good too. So, um, thank you guys for listening. Um, please, uh, if you don't already follow us on social media, um, our outro will give that plug. Um, but please follow us. We haven't done much yet, but we do plan to be posting more and there's more content that we want to do and things that we want to do. Um, part of that is growing our audience. And so if you know someone who, um, could 
really benefit from this and and don't be rude about it don't don't say like hey i i noticed that you never serve anybody here's a podcast episode like (laughs) be hospitable and and humble about it but if you know someone who could really benefit from the scripture who can be encouraged by this scripture and about the by this podcast and by any of our other episodes please share it with them um and please reach out to us we love to hear um and would love to hear from someone to just either even if it's to tell us that we were wrong about something um because i love a good conversation so um thank you guys so much for listening and uh we'll catch you guys in the next one we want to remind you that we can only speak on these things because of the grace of god through the death and resurrection of jesus christ on the cross for our sins we are not perfect in ourselves, but we are made new creations through him, and this is how we are able to live out his calling on our lives. Ephesians 2, 8-10 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about this episode, check out our show notes or our website, generationalgospel.com. And if you like what you heard, click to subscribe and follow our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever else you listen to podcasts. If you would like to support us, consider buying us a coffee. The link is in the show notes. Follow us on Instagram at generationalgospel for updates and encouragement. If you have any questions you want us to answer or topics you want us to talk about, email us at info at generationalgospel.com. Thanks again for listening to the Generational Gospel Podcast. Catch you in the next episode. See ya.